0: The following is a special presentation of high school sports. It's the High School Coaches Show. Here's your host, Justin Kenny.
1: Welcome in, everyone, to the week seven edition of the ESPN Coaches Show presented by Crumback Chevrolet. I am Justin Kenny. He is DC Hendricks. He stole his headphones. <laughs> already getting the look here, just a minute to the show, but uh we're here each and every Tuesday, six to seven talking area high school football, which we're gonna do for the next sixty minutes or so. just a couple seconds we'll be joined by Dan Vance of outside the huddle, as we are each and every week to kick off the show. We'll look back at a wacky week six, and um I got to watch most of it from home um. optimum performance sports we uh we bailed on going to norwell pretty early on friday but uh it was a late night for mr vance out in monroe dc Hendricks, i'm sure it was a late night for you as well last friday i had some games on saturday so uh, we'll talk to mr vance here in just a couple seconds about that and uh, look back at a a, a two-day marathon of games last weekend bottom of the hour we'll have todd mason of the east side blazers join us Eastside, in command of the necc small school division went to cherubusco a couple weeks back and uh really really demolished a very good cherubusco team really um ra- kind of corralled that offensive running attack of cherubusco so we'll talk to coach mason and then 6:45, we'll talk to jimmy lynn new haven bulldogs a team started the year off oh and four felt like man it's going to be a lost season for the bulldogs but they've run off back-to-back wins against quality opponents they're two and four and uh, all of a sudden we're looking at a bulldogs team that could be a threat um they go to belmont this week east noble week eight huntington north at home week nine to wrap it up but uh, wins over norwell and columbia city at home the last two weeks we'll talk to coach lynn about uh, what has happened over the last couple of weeks to turn the season around so plenty to talk about over the next hour dc and myself will give out some first half awards about 6 15 as we go over the uh, first half of the season but let's bring in mr dan vance of outside the huddle who's on the phone with us right now dan how are you
2: I'm doing great man how are you doing
1: i'm doing just fine and uh welcome back you went uh, a weekend trip up uh northwest didn't you
2: i i did i did it was not a very successful week at the weekend at the casino but you know had fun that's what matters right
1: oh i mean how, how can you have fun when you lose money but i guess i'm not a gambler right? i did get running updates from you to see how uh, further and further in the hole you went
2: it wasn't it wasn't exactly uh, pretty, but you know, acceptable at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after the crazy week of football we had uh, last Friday and Saturday, I mean, you were kind of half half watching it over Twitter on Saturday. I'm sure from the roulette tables, it was kind of a, a different change of pace having games Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a crazy week, and I, I really thought I was going to avoid it in Monroe. It looked really like for a while like it might pass. by South Adams-Adams Central, but not to be the case, but at least we only had about a 45-minute delay.
1: Yeah, it wasn't bad comparatively, particularly in the SAC. Dan, let's look back at that South Adams-Adams Central game. I don't think any of us were surprised that South Adams won, and even the margin wasn't altogether surprising. I felt maybe it was a 20-point difference, ended up being 28. But for you, what did you see on Friday night out of South Adams?
2: Well, the impressive thing is the fact that they won the same way they've been winning, and that's by going aerial. And Coach Grant Mosier told me before the game that they were just going to go out there and chuck it, still, even with all the rain, uh, wet conditions, wet field, wet football. And James Arnold just goes out and has a career best performance, a South Adams best performance throwing the ball. It, this, this team is just unbelievable at this point and what they're able to do. Like you said, I'm not surprised they beat Adams Central. I'm not really surprised even by the score. Uh, We thought it would be at least 20 points, but they, they just run over everybody. And the momentum they have and the way they're able to kind of do things at will has been extremely impressive
1: when you look at that roster and the amount of skill position players that they have and how they spread the field and attack you i mean we have had we had some some woodland teams in recent memory that were able to do that as well and get down to the state championship game but it's just the style that south adams plays sometimes coming out five wide is just something we don't see very often in the acac
2: no, not at all. And I think what's most impressive about uh, that, and it starts with Arnold, is that you're looking at a kid in James Arnold, who's thrown for, I don't have the stat in front of me, but around 1,400 yards this year, 21 touchdowns to just two interceptions, hasn't been sacked at all yet. And when you look at those numbers, they're outstanding numbers through six weeks. When you realize that this kid did not play week one, played until halftime weeks two, three, and four, he's played, 14 quarters of football this year and has those numbers. You know, he has not played in seven full games. Put up numbers like that coming off of a broken ankle at the end of last football season that as soon as it healed, he tore his ACL. So you got a kid coming back from major injuries, playing half the time because they're so dominant, and he puts up the best numbers in the area for a quarterback. Uh, I don't know how you can't look at him. I know we've talked about other guys, and I know you and Brett Rumpf just talked to the sports rush about some other guys, but. And it's hard to say James Arnold is up there very high in a player of the year consideration right now.
1: Yeah, it looks like a a very I would say easy but very manageable sectional for South Adams. That regional opponent most likely would be a Southwood at six and zero, which a very good defense. I just I don't know if any team in this area can slow that team down in terms of the offense in Class One A. Dan, let's look at uh, the SAC. I think barring a complete collapse, Homestead's going to win the victory bell for the first time in program history since joining the SAC a few years ago. Uh, do you feel, if you had to say here this is the second best team in the conference right now, who would you go with?
2: Oh, that's tough. I, ooh, it, it's very, very tough to figure out who the best team is. And, of course, we still have Week 8 and Snyder and, and Dwinger that will kind of indicate that. I wouldn't say... That Carroll's out of that conversation is the second best team. You know, the one point loss to Snyder. Dwinger beats them by seven, but it's the narrowest seven you could be scoring a touchdown with a minute some change left to, to beat Carroll when they played him. Uh, right now I'd say I'd probably go with Bishop Dwinger. I think their defense is strong. Uh, I think offensively they're doing a lot of different things that makes them more diverse. But yeah, right there two Dwinger, Snyder, Carroll. It's, it's a close race.
1: Dan, we're, we're looking at Homestead, and the conversation is turning from uh, can they win the SAC, which is a yes, to can they run the gauntlet of 6A and make it to a state championship game. We haven't seen a lot of 6A football outside of this area, of course, but man, it's just murderer's row, right? Do you feel, looking at Homestead, can they make? Can you make a case that this team could beat a couple really, really good teams in the North and make it to Indy?
2: I think you can make the case they can. I think that when you look at what would happen in the state championship game, the 6A football that's played in the South uh, and the size of those schools, you know, it, they're so huge. It's like we've talked about in basketball the last couple of years. When you get a team there in 4A, uh, you take Northside a couple years ago in basketball, for example, and they got there in the highest class of basketball. Well, you're run up against a school with 5,000 kids. And it's a completely different ball game, but I do think Homestead has the chance. I think some of their toughest tests are going to be in that sectional because you have local teams that uh, do or will have some revenge on their mind, uh, and I think that those are going to be some tough games in that sectional. I, I think they do have the talent, but you know, uh, it comes down to some of those games, and you know as well as I do, probably better. Uh, work ethic and, and how, uh, things are flowing on game night play a lot into it because there's so many talented teams in 6A that uh, there's a lot of teams that could run the gauntlet, but you just kinda gotta have that, uh, that certain rub on game night.
1: Yeah, Homestead now number three in Class 6A, the AP poll, but you have Carmel sitting there at two. Uh, you know, Brownsburg, Meriville, Snyder sitting there, Fishers, Ward. I mean, man, it, it's tough. You look at a North Central team that was ranked 11 last week, and they went and beat Carmel last weekend. So, uh, you know, Ben Davis at three and three. I mean, is anybody looking, over, looking past Ben Davis? Center Grove is two and four. But still at Center Grove, I mean, it's just very, very crazy in 6A. Dan, um, looking elsewhere uh, in the NE8, similar to SAC, we feel, okay, East Noble, barring something crazy, has this thing locked up. Looking at East Noble, very competitive 4A in the north. How far do we feel the Knights could potentially go?
2: I think that that sectional is going to be the toughest challenge for them, Uh in the North, honestly, it's a tough sectional. You get DeKalb again. Obviously, wasn't close the first time, but you got to think that DeKalb is going to change some things, attack that differently. We know it was a different game last year in the sectionals, uh, and Northwood sitting there, too. I think that's going to be the toughest game for them in the North. There are some other really good teams, but these almost just got a lot of depth. They are, they're homestead on a 4A level, on an NE8 level. They attack you through the air. They can beat you on the ground. They can just beat you in so many different ways. they got to be feeling pretty good about where they're
1: sitting. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, we look at the NECC and see West Noble 6-0, and first time since 1981. Um, I don't think they're the new Angola in terms of dominance going forward, but a very impressive showing out of uh, out of Coach May Holder's team because Angola's kind of rebuilding, and you have West Noble kind of taking advantage.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to say that West Noble is not athletic. I don't want to knock there, but you don't look at them as a typical team, even like Angola has been the last couple of years. They just have a lot of athletic freaks. Obviously you have Brandon Pruitt, who falls in that category, but you look at guys like Kyle Mayhorter, Josh Gross. This is strong blue collar football. Like these guys just work hard and outwork people. I think that's kind of the big strength for West Noble right now is that they're willing to outwork people and willing to go the extra mile. Uh, to win, and those kids just want to win so bad.
1: Another team that not a lot of people are talking about, at least in a positive light, is one-win Bishop Lures. Um Could Bishop-Lewers make a run in the playoffs if they survive the final three weeks of the season and they get no favors because they have to play Snyder and Bishop-DeWenger still? But in terms of surviving, in terms of not guys getting hurt or more guys getting hurt in this case, uh, get very many teams that can match up, even regional, I mean, could we conceivably have a Bishop-Lewers team that wins one, maybe two games in the regular season and make a deep run in the postseason?
2: I think that's always a possibility because Kyle Lindsay is such a good coach. It's so hard because we haven't really even gotten to see a true bishop Lures team basically all season, maybe week one. There's been so many injuries, uh, so many things that have pushed them back. I think that's an interesting sectional. You know, like you say, uh, full, healthy, talent-wise, nobody is there with Lures. But who in that sectional is going to be healthy? You know, the Bluffton team is looking pretty solid right now. If Bluffton's healthy and Lures is not, can they do enough? But they haven't been healthy every week. Uh, if Woodland, who struggled all year, gets guys back that haven't played for them, if Ben Reedy is back for sectionals, uh, if David Bischoff is eligible for sectional play, you know, what could Woodland do? And I think there's a lot of question marks in that sectional. It may be the most intriguing sectional in this area because of that, because we don't know who's going to play.
1: Dan Vance of Outside the Huddle.net joining us here on the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet. Dan, uh, what do you want to see over the final three weeks? I think we can try to sexy up the schedule in terms of matchups, and we have Homestead Carroll this week, and we have, uh, you know, Homestead, you know, Dwenger playing a big game with Snyder next week. But by and large, these sectional or these conference matchups don't mean much because uh, of the big, you know, teams at the top that have already pretty much wrapped it up. But so you in terms. Of what you see over the next three Fridays, what do you want to learn?
2: I don't know that there's much to learn. What I would like to see is that teams don't phone it in because of what you said, because these conferences are all but wrapped up. I mean, they're, they're not officially yet, and East Noble probably has the toughest road uh, of any of these major conference teams. Uh, not that it's not winnable, but Columbia City and New Haven represent decent challenges. I just don't want to see teams phone it in. You know, go hard, go strong intersectionals. Obviously, there are going to be some guys that get rested at a certain point uh, because you want to have them healthy for sectionals. We understand that. But I, I just want to see good, strong football, and I think that that's the, the hope going forward. Uh, and there are some teams that it will be interesting to see what they can bring and what they can continue to develop into heading into sectionals. Uh, what Carroll can do this week against Homestead, uh, obviously a rivalry game. Does Homestead look past Carroll? I wouldn't think so. Uh, but we'd like to see what Carroll does. A team like Northrop, what are they going to be able to do to continue to grow? They're getting better every week. Uh, and they have, obviously, a tough sectional and a tough road ahead of them, too. Can they go into that as strong as possible? And, and the growth that we can possibly still see from some of those teams.
1: Dan, before we let you go, let us know what is new at OutsideTheHuddle.net this week.
2: We'll have a Blitz column tomorrow talking about, uh, kind of the, the buy and sell of teams where we're at right now. The, a little bit of a stock watch on teams that we think could have a run in the postseason. Uh, in our normal coverage, we'll preview our game of the week on Thursday and Blitz's picks. And we're still going through our countdown of our top 50 girls basketball players. We launched that last week. A week from today starts the top 50 boys basketball players. So some good content there. Get into basketball season a little bit. Uh, but still, uh, Eyes heavily on football and, and what some teams can do down the stretch.
1: Only Dan Vance will be in the thick of uh, prepping for basketball season on, on October 1st, in the, th- in the middle of football season.
2: Uh, yep, yeah, probably. Probably just me. <laughs>
1: uh, all right, Dan, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.
2: All right, thanks, guys.
1: Ask Dan Vance outside the huddle.net joining us here on the show, as he does each and every week to kick off uh, the festivities at 6 o'clock. Uh, I, I agree with Dan because you look at these conferences and you look at the SEC, and, man, Homestead is going to really have to lay some eggs to open the door for anybody else to win the league. East Noble the same way. South Adams took care of uh, arguably its toughest test with Adams Central last week. Um, NECC even, maybe some more intrigue there, but by and large, Uh, These conferences are locked up with three weeks to go. Usually, at this point of the year, we can say, okay, this game in week eight, this game in week nine is going to decide the conference. Um, But we're even ahead of that in terms of 2019. Uh, Just these teams that are good are that good. So um, that's kind of where we're at in in each of these conferences. So um, you know, not a lot to look forward to on the field in terms of the next three weeks in terms of marquee matchups. But we want to see which teams are, are getting better. Every coach says they want to be playing their best football in Week 10. Which of these teams around here, not just the, the, the great teams, but the good teams that could potentially make a run, which of those are, uh, are peaking at the right time over the five, next three weeks heading into Week 10? We're going to step out, come back. We'll give us some first-half awards as we look at the first half of the season. <clears throat> Excuse me, D.C. Man, uh, would you put in my water? Like a 30-year smoker here. <laughs> Man. <clears throat> Get it out. Jeez. Anyway, uh, we're going to come back, give some first-half awards out for the first half of the season, D.C. and my uh, DC Hendricks and myself. We'll do that after the break. You are listening to the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM.
0: You're listening to the High School Coaches Show with Justin Kenny on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM.
1: Welcome back to a Week 7 edition of the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet. I'm Justin Kenny. D.C. Hendricks Producing. Thanks for being here, D.C. Thanks for putting a list together of your uh, first what up? half what up? honors. I tried.
3: I did it on the fly, so we'll see how it goes. So,
1: yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll do it. So, yeah, we're a little past halfway, but... Uh, a little bit. But it's, it's fine. Whatever. We make our own rules here. <laughs> um, so we're going to go through and give some first-half accolades out for the season. And uh, just a, a couple categories here. Uh, Coach uh, Todd Mason of Eastside, Coach Jimmy Lynn of New Haven later on in the show. But, uh, D.C., wanted to start with uh, you guys were talking about player of the year at the end of um, the sports rush. And uh, didn't know if you had a player of the year uh, for the first half of the year.
3: Yeah, um, obviously, Brett gave his out a little bit ago. He went with Bailey Parker of East Noble. Pretty good choice. I feel like almost everyone in the area would probably choose him. But I I always go against the grain. I don't like picking like everyone else does. I like to be different. You do like to be different. I do not pick Bailey Parker as my player of the year, as as we are right now here approaching week seven. My player of the year, Luke Goody. Luke Goody.
1: I don't think it's 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 crazy. I mean, I look at my player. Just got his first first interception. First pick, right?
3: It's crazy that we even have to mention that. It's like, does he even have an interception yet? Mm -hmm. And he finally just got his this last week, which um, they played it, like, what, after 10 o'clock? So, like, he gets a little bit of a pass there. It's after 10 o'clock, I'd be tired, and I'd probably throw an interception or two as well. Um, But, yeah, just... You know, the way he's took on that team this year, and it's not even, he's been recruited for basketball. And it's like, I don't, at least I didn't have, I mean, I had high expectations, but winning the conference, if you were to to tell me that Homestead was going to win the SAC this year, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that before the season. And it's, you know, obviously there's other players that have been playing very well, but Luke Goody's, play a quarterback has to be one of the main reasons of their success.
1: He's a guy that can make all the throws inside the pocket, outside the pocket. He's not a runner like Jake Archibald was last year when they split time in that offense, but he's a guy that is mobile enough to buy himself time out of the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and make a throw. I mean, yeah, his future definitely is in basketball, but the kid can sling it and has played tremendously well for the Homestead Spartans. Um, A guy that maybe... We can go MVP because I think it's different than player of the year. I think player of the year is like your best player, right? MVP is completely different, and I went a bunch of different directions here, but uh, MVP for me – was Aiden Warner of South Adams. The kid stepped in in week one and mm-hmm. played for James Arnold at quarterback and was tremendous. Um, then he goes back to his wideout spot, leads the team right now in receiving yards, second on the team in touchdown receptions. Uh, he also leads the team with four interceptions on defense, and he's their place kicker as well. So we're looking MVP, wow. and that's a team that's loaded. This is a guy that contributes in all three facets of the game. My MVP for the first half of the year, only a sophomore is Aiden Wanner of South Adams. That's what I'm going with.
3: I like that. That's pretty solid. So we both went a little bit different than, you know, against the grain, so to speak. I like that. MVP. Who do you got? Bailey Parker. (laughs) <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> um yeah, this was a little bit more tough for me, but you talk about, you know, a, another guy that does whatever he can for his team hating Ellinger. And mm-hmm. I think we noticed his absence in the game where he went out and Dwinger's defense definitely took a step back. I think it was the Carroll game. Yeah. And the defense took a step back. Um the second he went out of the game, his presence was missed, and he's a guy that does whatever it takes for his team as well. He's a good kid. I think hating Ellingers would be my most
1: Player. Here's a kid that I'll throw in here, and if you got anybody out there listening, 46862, hit us up if you have uh, some nominees you want to throw our way for best player of the year, MVP, of the first half. He's only played a couple games, and he didn't play last week because of injury. But Northside is a completely different team without Deuce Taylor. That's right. And you can see it in the limited action he has been in yep. on just how much better they are when Deuce Taylor is at quarterback. He's an MVP. I mean, he's in the conversation, despite he's only played a couple games this year. So Deuce Taylor is a kid that uh, definitely uh, one to watch. Coach of the year for first half of the year. Um, You can go in a bunch of different directions. Who would you go with
3: for Coach of the Year? I think I have a feeling we're going to end up agreeing on this one, but um, I know a lot of people would go Chad Zolman with Homestead, the way they've played this year. Went in the conference after everyone pretty much picked Snyder, Dwinger, everyone swore it was going to be between those teams. But I actually went a little bit different, went outside of the SAC for this one, and I went with Grant Moser of South Adams, finally beating Adam Central uh, he's not yet been able to do in his career and not only just beat him, but just completely dominated the game. I think South Adams is playing great football Right now, and you got to give Grant Mosier his credit. we we'll was just named the Colts Coach of the Week as well. Um, I seen Jim Ursa give him a nice shout out and a nice tweet there. So um, I think it's been a great season for South Adams, and you got to give Mosier his credit.
1: I could go Mosier, but I am going to go with your with you the person you mentioned first, in Chad Zolman, just because as successful as Homestead has been in recent years, that defense was always a bugaboo, and the offense could always put up points, but by gosh, they couldn't stop many many people. And that running game, I mean, they had it, when they had you know guys slinging it all over the field. You know, Jaya Wright was tremendous throwing the football, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't have a running game. Jaya Wright was their leading running back, basically leading rusher in the year. A running game as a Effective is what the homestead has with Brayden Hardwick. And that offensive front that was almost completely turned over by graduation has really found itself. So I'm going to go Chad Zolman. It's kind of an easy pick, but also it's I think we need to recognize when Homestead gets over that hump, of the SAC because they hadn't completely been able to get over it. And here they are with a at least a two-game lead on everybody else in the conference. So Chad Zolman is my guy for Coach of the Year, but you could make a, a great case for uh, for Grant Mosier. And, and who knows, the end-of-the-year award could very well go uh, to Coach Mosier down in Burn. Uh, here's one we'll wrap it up with. If we had to pick right now through six weeks of the season, who is D.C. Hendricks going with to represent the area over thanksgiving weekend in the state championship game south adams that's it that is it okay
3: that's it that's all i got that's all you got one a i just i just look at one a and i'm not sure i mean there's obviously a few teams that are right there that could give them some competition but i would feel most comfortable saying south adams
1: I have South Adams as well. I added Bishop DeWanger as well in 5A. That's right,
3: 5A, Yep, yeah, that's right.
1: I don't I don't think this DeWanger team's as good right now as it was last year. They lost a lot to graduation, and they've shown flashes here and there. I just don't think they're as good as they were a year ago at this time. Not saying they can't get hot like they did last year and make a run. I just think there's, there's a... Definite things to fix for Bishop dewanger at this point of the year that maybe they were a little ahead of last year. But I think Bishop Dewanger gets there. I think it's the the inevitable. We've always felt since the beginning of the year that it was going to be Dwanger and New Palestine in that 5A championship game. I'm going to stick to it. So I said we have two teams down at the state championship games over Thanksgiving weekend, Bishop DeWenger in 5A, South Adams in 1A. So that's our, one, our, our first half review. And, and look forward, a lot can happen over the next three weeks of the season and into the playoffs, which teams can survive the postseason, the sectional and regional. We have a surprise or two. Do we see a good team go down? I'm still saying Snyder is itching to get that rematch with Homestead. I think that defense, while undersized compared to traditional Snyder defenses, Will make the, the necessary necessary adjustments to take away some of the things that Homestead was able to do against them. I just don't know if they can get enough defensive stops, even if they improve, because they gave up touchdowns on their first seven possessions when Homestead had the ball against Snyder. So Snyder has to sort some things up. But no team uh, since 2011, Penn, has beaten Homestead or excuse me Snyder twice in the same season, and I couldn't tell you the last time an SAC team did it. So, uh, you know, Northside in recent years was able to beat Snyder in the post in the uh, regular season, lose to him in the postseason. Wayne a couple years ago beat Snyder in the regular season. Lose to him in the postseason. Uh, There's a precedent there that Homestead's going to have to get over. So that's going to be a fascinating matchup if we do indeed get it in sectional play. We're going to take a break. Come back. Coach Todd Mason, Eastside Blazers, will join us. You are listening to the ESPN Coaches Show presented by Crumback Chevrolet on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM.
0: Now back to the High School Coaches Show with Justin Kenney on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM.
1: Welcome back to a Week Seven edition of the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet. I'm Justin Kenny here with DC Hendricks, producing till seven o'clock. I'm talking area high school football heading into Week Seven. DC, you okay? He just hit his funny bone on the. <laughs> he was gonna turn his uh, his uh, mic on. But I think he was gonna say some bad words. You all right? You good? i'm good you're good all right all right all right good so uh we gave some uh, first half awards out uh, prior to the uh the break if you have any comments on those if you have any nominations hit us up 46862 on the text line let us know we have coach uh, jimmy lynn of new haven coming up in just a little bit but right now we're going to talk some necc football with east side head coach todd mason who joins us right now on the phone lines coach how are
0: you great how are you
1: I'm doing pretty good, and you have to feel pretty good too for the way your team has played the last uh, couple of weeks. You guys are in command right now of that small school division, so give us a review of the East Side Blazers through six weeks.
0: Well, you know, we started off this season as a young team, and we were hoping that our, our sophomores would become juniors by midseason, and I think they're starting to get there. We're still way there yet, but uh, we've made some improvements and. And we're doing some things right, uh, defensively. We're, we're playing great football, um, offensively. We're still hanging around with that turnover bug a little bit and penalties and, and, and things that sophomores and juniors do, um, and we're trying to get those corrected and, and, but overall we're, we're pretty excited with, with where we're at right now and we hope to keep improving throughout the rest of the regular season and, and try to make a run here in the postseason.
1: Coach, the, the game that obviously turned a lot of heads. You guys were 1-2, going to Turtletown, playing Busco I should have known it was going to be a good night for Eastside because we're sitting there, we're tailgating with the Ops bus. You come over in pregame and throw two or three footballs at the target like uh, ho-hum nonchalant. I, I should have known by then. That it was going to be a good night for Eastside 42 to 14 win at Busco. Uh, a really statement victory for you guys, particularly with some young guys that you had to rely on in a hostile environment.
0: Well, you know, first of all, I want you to know that, that anytime there's a competition available, I'm game. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to put a net in front of me and I got to throw a football through it, I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> um, but uh, secondly, yeah, I mean, our kids, uh, um they're doing a fantastic job uh you know sometimes the great thing about uh, young kids is they don't even know the magnitude of a game and and although we preached all week that that week of of the Cherubusco game that that you know it was probably in in essence um the driver's seat for the conference you know i i'm not completely sure they even understand understood the magnitude of that and and they just came out and played football which is fun as a coach that that they have the ability to to shut out media and and those sorts of things, Um, trying to tell them that they can't do something and, and come to a hostile environment and make things happen like they did.
1: Being able to really limit Jake Falk and Gage Kelly was huge in that game. Two of the guys that stood out for me and have stood out for all season long, Lane Kleckner, Phoenix Smith, two guys that are disruptive uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Kleckner leads you in sacks as well. I mean, these two guys have been phenomenal for you uh, with that defense.
0: And they have. And, and, you know, we've been, you know, Lane Kleckner by, by design should be a defensive end, and we're playing him everywhere. Just because of his natural ability to get to the football, um, and and Phoenix has has slowly taken over his defensive end role, and every week has gotten better. And you know, he had three sacks against Prairie Heights last week, and and. He consistently has gotten better, and it's made our defense better every week. So we're happy with those guys. You can't forget Carson Evers and Lane Burns in there. They're making plays all over the field. And and when you got safeties and, and middle linebackers making plays all over the field, that that's a good sense for your defense. And and you feel like you can you can cut loose on on some different things because you know you you've got guys that are going to make plays. Um, in the back
1: end coach offensively well, we is such a talented sophomore class of quarterbacks in the area and laban davis has been making plays for you a sophomore thrown for 900 yards 12 touchdowns also one of your leading rushers as well to hand over an offense to a sophomore a head coach has to have a lot of trust in that underclassman it seems like you have that in laban
0: and, and i do you know laban is still learning um By no mistake has he completely arrived. He's going to be fantastic when he figures out the mental side of things the way the way we want him to understand it. um, The sky's the limit. Uh, He's going to be fantastic. He still he he does he makes sophomore mistakes and but the thing is he's so athletic he makes up for them on the other end by using his feet and, and, and getting out of places that that most people cannot. He can do that and and it's been a lot of fun coaching him um, and watching him mature. Um, for example, tonight practice, he, he made a couple of reads tonight in practice that and I'm like, whoa, maybe he's coming along here. Maybe he's starting to get the mental side of this too. And, and, and I'm not saying he doesn't understand the mental side. I'm just saying that it, what we require out of a quarterback, um, I, I really like having seniors in that role because of the fact that they've been there, done that. But but Laban has consistently made strides, and, and he's going to continue to do that, and he's going to make a lot of plays for us here, uh, not only in the next few weeks, but but a couple more years yet.
1: Coach Laban Davis, not the only underclassman you guys have counted on. You mentioned that youth Matthew Firestein is big big for you in carrying the football. That re- wide receiving core is almost entirely underclassmen. Wade Miller, uh, Lane Burns, um, we got Dylan Bredemeyer is only a sophomore, so. Uh, the skill positions are loaded with underclassmen, and, and did you expect, I mean, what was the realistic expectations for this group? Because you guys have, have been there, you've won several NECC small school division championships uh, in recent years. Did you feel we could do it again this year? And the season's not over, obviously, but uh, to be 4-2 and two and to knock off Busco in the manner that you did, a lot of kids had to grow up quick.
0: And, and they did. Hey, we spent a lot of time in in, in the summer months and, and, you know, with the new open uh, practice facilities that, that, that we do. And, and hey, I, I just looked at them and I was like, if you don't want to be good, this is what you got to do, and you've got to be able to do it consistently. And they've done that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Laban Davis, Dylan Brighamire, a lot of those guys go to OPS in the offseason and, and do the quarterback wide receiver, uh, camp and, and they put a lot of, of time in the offseason to develop a rapport with each other. And, uh, you know, rather than thinking that we're sophomores, we're, we're thinking we're a football team and we, we gotta go out there and win games and, and we're counting on these guys and, and they're doing a fantastic job of, um, responding and, and not being intimidated by the fact that, uh, you know, as a sophomore, maybe you shouldn't be doing these things. Coach, you
1: got three games left in the regular season. You want to wrap up this con- this division championship. You go to an improved Fremont team this week who mm-hmm. knocked off your Week 8 opponent in Central Noble who got a mm-hmm. good road win last week against Lakeland. And then you get the non-conference game with Angola Week 9 an improved Hornets squad over the last couple weeks. So how do you tackle these final three weeks of the year?
0: Well, we we have for um, after the Muskoka win, we decided that hey, we're, we got to get better at us. That that it's it's about us getting better at what we do, and uh, you know I think we're doing that. Um, but we've got some tough games coming up. You know, Fremont, as you said, improved ball club, um, Central Noble just south south Lakeland, and uh, hey, you can say what you want about Angola. Uh, you know they had a they had a tough road to hoe at the beginning of the season. Uh, they're a darn good football team. So um, make no mistake, we're we're not thinking that we're just going to coast through the end of this season and try to make a run. We're trying to get better every week, and and we're going to have quality opponents, and and hopefully um, we can get rid of these turnovers and these penalties, and and we can make make some good things happen against some quality opponents here in the next few weeks.
1: Coach, every coach is different when it comes to this question, but when do you start looking at the field and the sectional and what other teams are doing? Is it something you pay attention to here and there throughout the year, or is it out of sight, out of mind to the last few weeks of the season?
0: A little bit of both. I mean, there's hey, you always want to know what's going on in your sectional, no matter whether it's week one or or if it's week nine. Um, But – you can get caught up in, in those sorts of things when you're looking for the future. You know, we gotta we gotta keep um, things in perspective and, and hey, we've gotta win two more NACC conference games to win a conference title. Um, and we gotta face a really good angle with team and we gotta do those things in that step process and when fixals roll, rolls around we'll be ready for that. I, I I promise you we'll be ready for it. Um but but uh, if you're asking me if I'm not paying attention to what on in the teams of my schedule that would be a lie. We certainly do. Um, but right now our focus is winning NECC title and, and uh, finishing up this regular season.
1: Coach, I appreciate the time taken uh, to talk to us here this evening. Good luck coming into Fremont on Friday and the rest of the way. We'll catch up to you down the road.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, go Blazers.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Coach Mason. Thank you. That's Coach Todd Mason, Eastside Blazers, coming on the coach's show. His team's 4-2, and two, three straight victories. Of course, the biggest win of those three was the 42-14 win over Cherubusco, a game that I was on the sideline for. And I felt like earlier in the year that Cherubusco really had no equal in the NECC small school division because of that running game, because of Gage Kelly and Jake Folk. But Eastside came in and completely took that running game away. It picked off multiple passes in the first half. It really really marginalized the edge that Cherubusco had offensively. And I thought after halftime the Eagles would get back on track. It was just more east side after the break, and it turned into a 28-point victory. Wins against Garrett and Prairie Heights have followed, going to Fremont at 3-3 three and three, coming up on Friday kickoff set for 7 o'clock. We're going to take a break, come back. Coach Jimmy Lynn, New Haven Bulldogs, will join us. You are listening to the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. On the field, your team wants to finish every drive with a score. With a new Chevy from Crumback Chevrolet, you'll prefer to keep driving. Maybe in the new and redesigned Silverado, the most dependable full-size pickup and best-in-class fuel economy. Or the Equinox, with modern design and technology, all packaged into a safe and versatile crossover. Looking for more family space? Then the midsize Traverse will get you where you're going in style and comfort. And you can't lose with a Malibu or the all-new Blazer. Score today and find new roads this season with a visit to Crumback Chevrolet in New Haven. Ask yourself what you will miss more,
4: your children
3: or cigarettes. As long as I can remember, my mother smoked. She died from lung cancer when I was 16. I could not take the chance of continuing smoking and not being here for my daughter. I know how much I needed my mom still, and I didn't realize it until I had lost her.
5: You're not just quitting for yourself. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
4: In the aftermath of tragic attacks such as the one at Santa Fe High School in Texas, there is often an increase in hoax threats to schools and other public places. Whether false threats are made on social media, verbally or otherwise, criminals could be locked behind prison doors for up to five years. FBI Deputy Director David Bowditch.
1: The Bureau and its law enforcement partners take each threat seriously. We investigate
0: and fully analyze each threat to determine its credibility.
4: In addition to time behind bars and a fine, other consequences of this crime include...
0: Emotional distress to students, school personnel, and parents. False threats
1: also drain taxpayer money and divert valuable law enforcement resources away
2: from other critical responsibilities.
4: Making false threats is not a joke. Think before you post. Report threats and suspicious behavior to law enforcement and in emergencies, dial 911. With FBI this week, I'm Molly Helpert of the Bureau.
5: This Movember, here's to the straggly mustaches. The lopsided ones. The itchy, patchy, raggedy ones. But hey, I look good with this ones. The ones grown by dad. The ones grown for dad. Because whatever you grow will save a bro. Learn more at Movember.com. Hey,
0: this is Scott Pieri with birdies and bogeys. We're sponsored by Apex Golf Lab and Optimum Performance Sports. Check us out this Saturday at 8 to 9 a.m. right here on ESPN Radio. And don't forget to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The High School Coaches Show with Justin Kenny on ESPN Radio, 138 and 100.9 FM.
1: Welcome back for the final time here to week seven edition of the ESPN Coaches Show presented by Crumback Chevrolet. I'm Justin Kenny, DC Hendricks producing here till seven o'clock, talking area high school football. And uh, thanks to Coach Todd Mason for joining us before the break and breaking down the Eastside Blazers who've had three straight victories now sit at four and two, a team that uh, has kind of turned the the page on the early part of the season and we're going to break that down the early part and the last two weeks is new haven sitting now at two and four got some solid wins over norwell and columbia city at home over the last two weeks they go to belmont on on friday night head coach jimmy lynn of the new haven bulldogs joins us coach how are you sir
5: I'm doing well. Thanks. How are you? Not too bad. And, and, and Coach, it was two teams that kind of captured our attention earlier in the year in starting
1: 0-4. was Angola, and it was New Haven. But when you look at that schedule that you guys had, four losses to teams that combined 19-5, and five, I mean, no shame in those games, particularly in taking Riley to overtime, battling Mississinawa, DeKalb. I mean, it was murderer's row there for you earlier in the year.
5: Yeah, we um, uh, we have a tough early uh, non-conference schedule, um, and it's good for us in the long run. To tell you the truth, it gets us ready for uh, to see teams of similar size. Um, Miss Senoia is intersectional and you kind of hit it on the head. We I feel like we definitely should have won that that first week. And we did a lot of things um, that I wish we could uh, get back on that week one, and then we were we had a chance to up 14 zip on Miss and then we were up 14-0 on the DeKalb, and we just we just weren't finishing or being consistent early on in the season.
1: Coach, starting 0-4, some teams it's easy for to lose the kids. And, you know, bad start, usually it just starts, you know, rolling and rolling. How did you get the, keep the kids engaged, committed? Was this a group that you felt, man, even if we start out sluggish, they're going to stick with it and we can turn this thing around?
5: Obviously that was, that was uh, my driving concern. Um no one wants to start 0-4 and, 4, and uh, hats off to our kids for, for knowing, you know, we, we should have and could have easily won a couple, two or three of those ball games and, uh, they saw it and, uh, they believe in what we were telling them that we were much better than 0-4 and, and that if we just play consistently and as good as we possibly can, then we'll start winning football games
1: take us through the last two weeks coach norwell win 35 to 10 you beat columbia city in convincing fashion 31 to 9 last friday i think that really captured a lot of people's attention uh what's been going right the last couple
5: weeks offensively i think we're, we're finally starting to hit our groove um Early on in the year we were kind of in a two two quarterback system as far as uh, not knowing whether we we're gonna play Jamar Hudson's a quarterback or Jakar Williams at quarterback and um we decided to ride with uh the, the sophomore in Jakar and he's just getting better and better every week and he's really opening up uh what we can do in our passing game. He runs the ball pretty well in our in our power read uh runs and um you know our running game isn't quite what we want it to be, but it's getting better and that's something we're looking to improve on. And defensively it's uh uh, hats off to our, our defensive staff, our coaches. They've, we've come up with a lot of different press, pressure packages and things that, that we can excel at to get pressure on uh, quarterbacks. And then in the long run, it helps us against their running attack as well.
1: Coach Jimmy Lynn, New Haven Bulldogs, joining us here on the ESPN Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet. Coach, you mentioned Ja'Kar Williams, your sophomore quarterback. He's just another in that long line of of sophomore quarterbacks in the area. Jeff Becker, uh, Greg Bolt, Aiden Meek, I think has a promising future at Wayne. Uh, Ja'Kar, Laban Davis at Eastside. I mean, to hand the offense over to a sophomore and trust him, and he had a really good game last week, throw for over 200 yards and a touchdown against Columbia City. What do you want to see out of a kid in that position to say this is your offense you run it as a sophomore
5: Uh, we're just looking for him to build week to week he's uh very coachable which is what we like uh everything we've got a great quarterback coach in cam smith and he's been working on him and uh, his footwork's improving he's got a rocket arm i mean he can put the ball anywhere we'd like to see him um be a little bit more accurate on the steep throws because that's one thing we haven't been able to do is really really stretch defensively defenses vertically but um his his uh, mid-range throws are, are getting way better and uh early on in the year he wasn't uh really too accurate when he was on the roll but uh he's getting better at that as well so that's what we're just looking for him to improve improve week to week and and our receivers have full confidence in him so uh, things are starting to look a little bit better
1: Another underclassman for you that has shined on both sides of the ball, Junior Dre Wright. He's your leading rusher, and he's also leads your team in sacks and tackles for loss. I mean, talk about your linebacker slash running back.
5: Yeah, DeAndre Wright's the, the best all-around football player on our team, and I'm i'm pretty sure i put up against anybody in the area he's just he's that that good of a player uh, he's fast sideline the sideline he's a big physical kid um he's a basketball player so he's athletic so he can do a lot of different things and we found ways to get him get him involved we found out early on in the year that teams were he's our mic backer and we run a 3-3 stack for the most part so teams can kind of run away from him so we moved him around a little bit and uh, we found ways to to get him pressure in the quarterback when um, when he's not trying to stop the run as an inside backer.
1: Coach, you mentioned that 3-3, and we see a lot more teams going to that 3-3 stack uh, defense of alignment here in at the high school level. And there's various reasons for why coaches do it, either lack of personnel in terms of pure D linemen, or the, the more spread offenses we see, you want more DBs on the field. So what's your certain philosophy in going with that 3-3-5?
5: Yeah, we've been doing it for a while here at New Haven. Um, really, our base is a three-four, but we we roll into a stack quite a bit, probably more often than not. It's basically really our base now. We do it uh, for a couple different options. Yeah, one uh, you see a lot more spread teams. It's very adaptable defense. So uh, you get you get linebackers that can play in space, but that can also need to be run stoppers. And um, and we roll down into a four-man front out of it as well at times. So I think it's just very adaptable. Um, defense and lack of linemen for us we're not really um we're not really big up front we don't have a lot of true um tackles or nose tackles if you will but we have a lot of like lineman type or hybrid type players that can play a lot of different things so that's what we do with it we just like to be adaptable and we can play the run in the pass we can load the box up we can get out and play coverage uh it's just an adaptable defense and we love it
1: Coach, I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on two straight wins. You go to Belmont on Friday. We'll see if you can make it three.
5: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: That's Coach Jimmy Lynn, New Haven Bulldogs, joining us. Team that started 0-4, but like we said at the uh, beginning of the interview, they played teams that are right now combined 19-5 and 5 to start the year. South Bend Riley lost to overtime by a point at Mississinawah who's four and two and has the worst record out of any of the four teams they played, and then open league play with DeKalb and Leo, and were competitive in both. So knocking off Norwell and Columbia City in back to back weeks really impressive for New Haven. Norwell and Columbia City we're going to be in the thick of that uh, race for probably the second, third spot in the NE8, you felt, behind East Noble. So, coming alive, the New Haven Bulldogs and Jimmy Lynn. They have Belmont this week. They go to East Noble Week 8, wrap up the regular season at home against Huntington North. Thank you to Coach Jimmy Lynn for joining us, as well as Coach Todd Mason of Eastside. We started off the show, as we always do, with Dan Vance of Outside the Huddle. For D.C. Hendricks, I am Justin Kenny. You have been listening to the Week 7 of- Coaches Show, presented by Crumback Chevrolet on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM.
4: Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.